latest tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week, we will discuss eBay's acquisition of Spain's ticket bis for $165 million. We'll talk about TransferWise officially becoming a unicorn, raising $26 million at $1.1 billion valuation. We'll discuss Google's Paris office situation. Google Paris was raided this week for non-tax compliance. Our editor, Robin, catches up with Paris accelerator Numa, and Neil and I will wrap up with a discussion of Brexit and what it could mean for the European tech scene. So let's jump right in with eBay's acquisition of Spanish startup TicketBiz. eBay put down $165 million to acquire the online ticketing marketplace, which it now plans to roll into its own ticketing service, which is called StubHub. The deal will bring StubHub to 47 markets outside the U.S., primarily in Europe, Latin America, Asia. According to TechCrunch, $165 million is a decent return for the company that's headquartered in Bilbao and has over 400 employees globally. Apparently, they raised just under twenty. Six million, with some pretty prominent investors, including Fabrice Grinda, Active Venture Partners, and Jose Marin. So despite the acquisition, StubHub has actually been criticized for not having enough tickets on his site, for having fake tickets. And in the UK, the site, along with a couple other secondary ticketing sites, is being investigated for breaking the law. So StubHub itself was acquired by eBay in 2007 for $310 million. But overall, sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it in the context of, you know, how many big exits have there been from Spain, uh, how many 100 million plus exits, yeah, not too many. So in that sense, I think it's a good deal. I would say that, yeah, decent return. I don't know about that, like 165 million, it's raised 26 million in the bank. So what's that, like a time five, times six type scenario? So that's probably what you'd expect it to be valued at. So I think it's probably a go-in rate rather than like a great exit, to be honest. So I would put this down as a pretty, standard would probably be too harsh, like a solid exit, I guess. That's what I would say. I don't think it's a spectacular one, but when you look at it in context, I guess it is a good one. I mean, especially when you look at kind of (laughs) the market itself or the service itself and, you know, there's issues with kind of legalities and kind of controversy around the tickets themselves that surely can't help the whole uh, space itself. So in that sense, uh, I think that probably has paid a part in it as well. But yeah, I mean, in context, 165 million exit for a Spanish startup, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. So now UK-based money transfer company TransferWise has officially become a unicorn. I find this a little hilarious given that we've been counting them as a unicorn for ages, but the company recently raised a $26 million round, valuing the company at $1.1 billion. This also brings the company's total funding to $117 million. This round was described as top-up funding, although I'm kind of wondering how that is different from a bridge. And apparently, the startup is currently making a loss, so they're putting all their money into future growth. I guess that's what this round is meant to help them with. They do have solid investors, actually, including Andreessen Horowitz, Peter Thiel's Valar Ventures, and Sir Richard Branson, just to name a few. So very solid company, actually. 
Yeah, I think I've mentioned before in this podcast, but I think it was pretty early on. So perhaps for those listeners who weren't with us then, I think TransferWise are a great example. I mean, you mentioned Andreessen Horowitz there. They're a great example of a European company pushing back and saying, do you know what? We don't need to flip and go to the US. We can build a big, solid business in Europe as well. And actually, Andreessen wanted to invest earlier than they did, but they wanted TransferWise to move everything to the US. And TransferWise said, no, we don't want to do that. And then the next round, Andreessen came back and said, said, you know what, we're coming in anyway. So TransferWise is a great example of a European company who stuck to their guns and said, we can build a great company from Europe. So in that respect, like I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think what's also funny about this is that I felt TransferWise entered the Unicorn Club like ages ago, as early as 2014. Yeah, if I wasn't as sick as I am, I would probably launch into like a really, really big rant right here. But this is something that's been also bothering me for like well over a year or whenever they last raised that. I think it was about 58 million they last raised. And essentially they communicated they'd raised 58 million somewhere near evaluation just short of 1 billion or whatever. But it was at the peak of the unicorn terminology when everyone wanted to use it all of the time. And all of the media just thought, you know, nearly a billion, that's as good as, and just started calling them a unicorn. And actually, I've got about 20 tweets at at the time saying, you know, nearly a unicorn isn't a unicorn. So I kind of felt justified when this news came out. Although, of course, all of the all of the media uh, entities that had called me a unicorn before kind of just ignored that fact and said, "Yeah, now a unicorn." Uh, so yeah, th- this this has been an annoyance of mine for like one year. That the fact it was communicated last time that it was kind of nearly one billion. So you're probably thinking about eight hundred, nine hundred valuation. But media just said, "Yeah, unicorn." Yeah, I I think it's funny. Maybe we should start a almost unicorn club. Uh, People have, I've heard things mentioned like pony club and things like that. Um, Maybe we'll see big future potential unicorns making their own group. Who knows? But apparently coming back to TransferWise, the company employs over 600 people, of which 100 are product people. That to me is just insane. And while there are many UK companies that do not comment on Brexit, TransferWise is one of the few that has openly come out against the UK leaving the EU. But Neil and I will get to this actually in a bit when we talk about Brexit and what it means for startups later on the podcast. Now, Google has been having a bit of trouble in France. Last week, Google's Paris offices were rated for non-tax compliancy. This story is the same one we've heard about for years. If anybody has had heard, heard about Google's issues in France for tax reasons, it's the same story. It dates back to 2012. The French government wants more proof that the company is not using tax optimization strategies, or they could be hit with a huge fine of up to $1.8 billion. While tax optimization isn't illegal, there are several things under investigation. So Google has denied signing contracts in France, although there were French salespeople who signed French contracts in 2011. Advertising contracts with French advertisers were also taxed in Ireland the same year. So these elements are the ones that are being under investigation at the moment. From what I understand, Google has set up a really clever strategy whereby the EU HQ is called Google Ireland Holdings, but they have their cost center in Bermuda where corporate tax doesn't even exist. Obviously, transferring money is is something that's taxed, but not if the money goes from Ireland to the Netherlands and then to Bermuda. So Google Netherlands only transfers money from Ireland to Bermuda. So it's all kind of a very complex but intelligent system that they worked out. Obviously, none of it's actually illegal. 
except the French contracts taxed in Ireland could also be subject to French tax. So that's the only thing that's really being investigated. But I guess that all justified Google's offices being raided this past week. Yeah, I mean, how I feel about it is what you just said, you know, that just really confuses me like, oh, yeah, but then, you know, they can do Ireland's and Netherlands and to Bermuda, whatever, you know, maybe it's not illegal. But when you're taking so many steps that I can't even follow, you know, what you're explaining that they're doing, then it's clearly something where they are deliberately, you know, trying to get around the letter of the law. But there's a fine line here right? Europe needs to be an attractive place for Google, for Uber. You know, we see the regulation trouble with Uber as well. We need to be an attractive place for these big tech giants. But at the same time, they shouldn't be kind of deliberately going around the laws. But I guess, you know, what what option almost is left for them if they want to operate here? So, you know, a balance does need to be drawn here. I do think that the current tax restrictions, the current regulations are very kind of, you know, penalty heavy on the, the US tech giants. We're most suspicious of of them operating here so i think we could be more welcoming but at the same time i do think that you know it is pushing it to the limit by going all around the houses so much it's so hard to follow you're quite clearly deliberately doing that so yeah you know it's hard to kind of say who's in the wrong here to be honest because i kind of understand why google would do what they do but at the same time, I would hope that the real solution from this is that we actually kind of change something and make it more friendly for kind of, you know, and not just U.S. tech companies, but for European tech companies to do business here. Yeah, I would agree with you. There's a fine line between what's attractive and what, you know, I feel like this is the stuff that gets picked up in the press and not the, you know, if there's anything that's making it easier to do business here that doesn't make headlines. But the one thing that really caught my eye was just the cost center in Bermuda, which I just think is such a blatant kind of beat around the bush when it comes to tax strategy that it it just looks ridiculous. So hopefully Google will get that sorted out and take care of that uh, so they don't get raided again in Paris. Now, our editor, Robin, had a chance to catch up with Paris-based accelerator NUMA. Hey, this is Robin from uh, TechEU. I'm here with Raphael from NUMA in Paris. What's NUMA? So NUMA is a big innovation hub. We have been around for the past 15 years in the Paris ecosystem. And uh, currently, our activity is based on three pillars. The first one is uh, community. So what we call community is having a free, totally free co-working space in Paris and organizing many events for the local ecosystem. The second pillar is our open innovation programs. So this is working with corporates who want to work like a startup or who want to work with the startup community. And the last pillar is our acceleration program, which is uh, why we are the most famous in France. We have accelerated uh, more than 100 startups so far, and we are currently in the uh, eighth season of the acceleration. And why I tell you that we are an innovation hub is also because we have started to develop internationally. We are not just present in France, but we are present in Russia, in India, in Morocco, in Spain, and in Mexico right now. So when you expand to another country, do you copy the model that you successfully built in Paris and just... 
copy-paste it? Well, it's not really copy-paste. I mean, when we deploy internationally, of course, we want to deploy these three activities, but the idea is always to adapt to a local ecosystem. So we choose a local partner and we form a joint venture with this local partner. And to show you that he's going to be in charge, the local partner is, has always the majority stake in the joint venture because he's the one who knows the ecosystem and he's the one who is really going to be empowered with the program. So we want them to really take the lead and to be able to tell us, guys, this is not going to work and uh, we have to adapt what you are doing in Paris. It's not going to work in India, as an example. Got it. Okay. So the actual acceleration program that you have is pretty straightforward, um, like most accelerators. But the, the other two aspects that so you mentioned is co-working, which in most cases isn't free mm -hmm. and yours is totally free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how does that work? Well, how does that work? Basically, first, the co-working is the entry point for the communities. So people just uh, come here and say, I want to spend a day here. And it enables us to have some people coming in the building, leaving the building and talking about it. So uh, at first, we had a, a paying co-working, but we understood that it took so much time to manage and actually bringing little value added for us that we decided that we didn't want, want to spend some people and some time on this issue and we wanted to focus on issues on which we really were able to bring the most value. So the people that were in charge of managing this paying co-working stopped doing that and focused on organizing events with high value impact for the co-workers and we see that having more events with more value brings in more people than just having a, a, a table that you can rent for a day basically. Right. Cool. And then the third pillar is the openness and innovation part um, that means working with corporates. Yeah. How does that work? Which kind of corporates? What do you do for them? And how do they you know do they actually come to NUMA physically or what happens? How do okay. They well basically we work with all kinds of uh, corporates. Uh, we work with about 50% uh, of the top French listed companies uh, with big names such as uh, EDF, the electric company, uh, SNCF, the train operator, and well, you name it. And uh, basically they come to us because they feel that something is happening that they don't understand and they want to have a better grasp of what's going on and they want to adapt their ways of working and to learn from the start startup world. So basically we have some trainings to uh, teach them using uh, lean startup methodologies. So we teach them to go see their users, to really prototype rapidly, to have a, a proof of concept rapidly and, uh, and to, to have something to show because we have seen so many corporates who had the R&D department, which is totally uh, isolated from the rest of the company, from the users, that we have seen that we could really bring in some of the methodologies that we've seen in the startup world. And then we have some programs that are more advanced, if you want, which is really corporates coming to us, telling us, I want to work with the startups, but I don't have the network and I don't know how to tap into this network. So it would be a, a big corporation coming to us, telling us, I have a huge set of, uh, of data that I don't know what to do. I don't know to, how to bring value to it. And so can you find me three startups that are going to be willing to work on my data for three right. months and to come up with a real project that I will be able right. to acquire? So very specific yeah. uh, use case. Yeah. So we've been paying a little bit more attention at TechU on France than we used to because you know, we did some research. We did a report on the French tech ecosystem and we were kind of amazed how much is happening here. Um, you kind of know that from the outside uh, but I would like to get your opinion because you're right in the middle of it um, mm -hmm. how have you seen like the French startup scene evolve over the past few years and what do you think the next few years is going to bring 
Well, first of all, we've seen that the overall level of the of the startups is really rising. I mean, when we select the startups, we see uh, about 600 uh, applications, and we see that the average level of the applications is much more interesting right now than what it was uh, three years ago. Then we see a lot of uh, a focus in international newspapers on the startup community, and I feel that it's really linked to what the French tech has been doing. Uh, so the French tech is a, a brand basically created by the French government to promote the attractivity of French startups. And we've seen that they really did a great, great job at uh, showing to the entire world that France is not just a bureaucratic state, but it's also a, a country where many things are happening in the sure. startup world. So you're a fan of the La French Tech brand? Because yeah. Not everyone in the ecosystem is, is actually we, you know, we, so positive. We, we work it. really well with them and uh, putting France under the, the spotlight is always good for, for us. Well, it's uh, when we can show that something is happening here and that we are not a retarded country. Well, it's always uh, good for us. And I think that they, they did a, a good job uh, with that. And then you have some more emblematic pro programs such as the Alfresine that is uh, currently being launched by uh, Xavier Niel. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to open in 2017. Yeah, it's going to be run by Roxanne, who's also yeah, on this podcast. Uh, Roxanne Vaza, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's also uh, great news for, for Paris because it's uh, showing to the entire world that something is happening and that uh, we have enough startups to fill in a space that is going to have uh, 1,000 startups and uh, that we have uh, the best talents of tomorrow. Great. Basically. Well, thanks, Raphael. Uh, best of luck with Numa, with Paris, and with uh, the rest of France, of course. Huh? Thank <laughs> thanks, Raven. And finally, Brexit and what it could mean for European startups. Now, Neil, perhaps actually we can start with the general sentiment in the UK right now. I was there not too long ago. I got my hands on a brochure from the No campaign who supports leaving the EU. And I admit their arguments are actually convincing. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm struggling with getting a, a handle on what the general sentiment is. I think that the general sentiment is is that we should remain in the EU. Uh, and that's certainly my personal opinion as well. But I do feel that it probably isn't as clear cut as as I think. Um, and, and often, you know, it's almost acceptable to say we should remain in the EU, but almost frowned upon a little to say that we shouldn't. And so often what you get in these exit polls or whatever, or, or general polls, is that people are a little too afraid to say their opinions. So what you find is that the result will probably be closer than we think. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion at all. And this is probably the first election in years and years where I'm absolutely determined to go out and vote because I think this you know is such an important vote for the UK in my opinion I think that we should I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table and be honest you know I mean especially from a kind of startup and tech perspective I think we should remain in the EU Yeah, and I think um, a little bit to what you said, this in many ways reminds me of the vote for Scotland. I know that probably had less of an impact on startups directly, but one thing where people think, you know, oh, definitely it's going to be one way and not the other. And then last minute you realize it's super close. So hopefully everybody will get out and vote. I personally would hate for the UK to leave the EU, and I think I'm not alone. The Guardian actually recently published a list of a number of UK's leading startups saying that none of them openly supported Brexit. Uh, the list included names, obviously, like TransferWise, which you mentioned earlier, but also Farfetch, FanDuel, Funding Circle. I think there were like over 15 companies. And I was actually surprised to see that while these companies not openly supporting Brexit, there's nobody that's openly against it or they're very few. So that kind of shocked me a little bit. 
also Matthias Lungmann, who's an investor in Supercell, published an interesting article calling for startup founders to vote to stay in the EU. Yeah, and what's interesting about Matthias's view is actually I, I found this quite a refreshing point of view because it wasn't just oh it would be really bad if you know it'd be really bad for British startups if if we left the EU or it'd be you know it, it wasn't kind of taking that negative point of view or even a positive view in the sense that oh this is what we'd be missing out on. What it was saying is you know we should use this opportunity. When I'm using we here, I mean British startups, British tech startups should use this opportunity to kind of shape a better EU. I mean, no country is happy with the EU as it is run right now, as essentially Matthias's point. And instead of kind of looking at the the, the the kind of black and white of knowing yes and staying in, staying out, why don't we use this opportunity to shape an EU that we want? And Britain has a great opportunity of doing that, you know, especially when it comes to tech startups. They attract the most capital. They've got a strong history in terms of creating these companies. And Britain is still, you know, a very respected place especially when it comes to tech companies so you know this is a position that britain could use almost to leverage and say you know we you know we want to remain but this is what needs to change and this is what we could do so actually i thought matthias's viewpoint was you know it was a refreshing one in the sense that it wasn't black and white it was a little gray and saying let's use the opportunity to reshape it especially the tech companies because you know almost when we're touching on when we're talking about google you know europe isn't great for big companies that's for sure whether it's us or european companies here it's not a great place to run a company is so many bad regulations so many bad tax issues that these things need changing so maybe we should use this kind of uk in or out situation to benefit the whole of the eu yeah i think we most certainly have an opportunity there also i've noticed that in france the tone has started to get a lot harsher recently with lots of top politicians and media saying that if the uk leaves europe they will not be treated as before so I mean, that's obviously a political stance that they're, they're trying to not threaten, but kind of threaten in a way. But I guess we'll have to see what actually happens. Yeah, I mean, and that applies to politics, but also to tech, right? So I think that it's true. And actually, I mean, talking about politics, Obama said this as well, is, you know, UK won't be treated in a special way, in a good way, if they go it alone. They would come down the pecking order. And that doesn't just apply in politics, I think. That will apply when it comes to the tech scene as well. So the UK will be weaker by being on its own, not just as a political entity, but as a tech entity as well. So I definitely think that when you think of it from a tech, small business point of view, the UK definitely has to remain in the EU. And Neil has said the magic word. So to all of our listeners, we had some feedback that I say definitely too much on the podcast. Hopefully this time I managed to control myself. I have to admit it was really hard. But that just goes to show you we do listen to your feedback. Send us all your comments. And that's it for this week. Yeah, so as Roxanne says, you can send us your feedback. Yeah, we clearly listen to it. Roxanne definitely says definitely too much. Please don't point out all the things that I'm saying too much. (laughs) <laughs> or I might take it to heart. Uh, no, you can. That's fine. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Neil SW Murray, at Roxanne Vaza, at tech underscore EU. And the website is, of course, tech.eu. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.